Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Sarsen Funds, real, clear, crypto, and general provision. I can Skype and talk in real time to somebody in Nigeria, but I can't send them $5. You know, it doesn't make financial sense. You know, the fees and the wiring right. fees associated with that, and they might not even have a bank account. But now I can. Now I can send value and I can send, you know, cryptocurrency directly to that person's wallet. And that really expands the ability for the rest of the world. And believe it or not, for your audience that doesn't know, there's over a billion people in the world that are not part of the global financial network. Sachs in the morning. Sports, money, life. Steve Sachs. Hi, Steve Sachs here with Sachs in the morning. Very excited about today's full-length episode of our podcast. And look, if you've ever been excited about cryptocurrency, I have the man for you today. Jahan Jamali is a leading expert on emerging technologies, global risk management, and international relations. After receiving his BA and MA from Johns Hopkins University, he began his career as a U.S. intelligence officer with the Pentagon's Defense and Intelligence Agency. He has served worldwide as a trained human intelligence officer and former interrogator and as a recipient of the Defense Intelligence Agency Award for Excellence. Jahan is currently a renowned digital assets and crypto educator and community influencer. He is routinely sought by media to explain the current events in the digital asset landscape and to explain the intersection of cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, and security. He has been featured on Cheddar News, Real America's Voice News, Forbes Financial Times, and NTD News. And so now I'd like to bring on the Chief Marketing Officer and co-founder of Sarsen Funds. This is Jahan Jamali. Jahan, so great to be with you today. Steve, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I'm excited to discuss what's going on in the cryptocurrency world with your audience. Perfect. And, and John, full disclosure, we all know that I'm an investor with the Sarsen Funds. And I, like everybody else, have a Coinbase account, which is a nice thing. But my real serious money is with Sarsen Funds because they're so great at what they do. And so full disclosure, that's where I am. So, Jahan, my first question to get us started is, you know, cryptocurrency is really the hot investment going on right now. But there's a lot that's not understood about it. I just want to tee you up and you can give us a high level of understanding of what this is all about. Well, sure, Steve. Well, you can think about it as the completion piece almost of the Internet. You know, for the last 10, 20 years, maybe even more, you know, we've developed this global network, being able to transmit information basically to anyone across the world. Even me being on this show right now is, is a demonstration of that. But we've never been able to transact value without a third party in the middle before. We've never had a peer-to-peer capability transmitting value and uh, transmitting payment to somebody else directly. It's always gone through a what's called a, you know, in the finance world a trusted third party. Traditionally, uh, you know, as the internet has evolved, we've been been growing more and more accustomed to digital payments. But you know, at the end of it, there's always something in the middle. And traditionally, it's been a bank, and the bank verifies the transaction on either end. And there's a variety of processes that occur in the background. Uh, now, that's great. It's definitely helped speed up our economy and our commerce in a variety of different ways. But it's still based on the traditional banking system of having a verification that's really, you know, whether it's quasi-manual or fully manual, it's still kind of manual in the middle. And there's a lot of layers of overhead there that the transactions experience. But, you know, I can Skype and talk in real time to somebody in Nigeria, but I can't send them $5. 
You know, it doesn't make financial sense. You know, the fees and the wiring right. fees associated with that. And they might not even have a bank account. But now I can. Now I can send value and I can send, you know, cryptocurrency directly to that person's wallet. And that really expands the ability for the rest of the world. And believe it or not, for your audience that doesn't know, there's over a billion people in the world that are not part of the global financial network. Hmm. Now, you know, whether it's you know, folks that don't have enough money, whether it's a few hundred dollars to go open up a bank account or people that live in, in some sort of country where there's a lot of political or financial instability, but there's over a billion people in the world that don't have access to the global financial network like you and I do. We take it for granted. Mm -hmm. I can go down the street to an ATM and, and so can you, but there's a lot of people that aren't included in that. This whole thing about you being able to do that peer-to-peer -peer contact and have that thing done without any bank interference, this is what we call decentralization. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, for your audience that, you know, those might be crypto or at least internet enthusiasts, that was really what the web was supposed to be. But, you know, as the web evolved, large companies and projects and entities and governments got involved. And what we have is, you know, effectively a centralized web where, you know, your data, every, every place you go online, that information, that footprint is left somewhere on a server that you don't have visibility into. And the same with your financial transactions. It still needs to go through a centralized point. And that's very risky to a degree because that's also a central point of failure. And we've seen you know, recent hackings you know, all over the world in a variety of different institutions as an example of that. But with decentralization, it gives an enormous amount of transparency into the network. And it also enhances the security considerably. One of the things that blockchain technology. And you know, I, I do want to delineate, right? I still get a lot of questions on, okay, what is blockchain and what right. is cryptocurrency? I just took my next really, questions. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, blockchain Tell us about technology. Blockchain. Yeah. So blockchain technology at its heart is a, it's based off a centuries old method of the ledger system where new entries or updates or changes are recorded as a new entry in the ledger. And rather than having the ability to go in and change or alter or edit that, anything that's done subsequent to that is added as a new entry. So you have these effectively a chain of the events that happen on that network. And cryptocurrency, for instance, which is really crypto is the first killer app built with blockchain technology, if you want to think of it like that, where groups of transactions are, are blocked up. And rather than having those transactions be confirmed in the middle by you know, either a bank or the trusted third party, you have groups of participants in the network that use powerful computers to race and compete to solve a complex math equation that's generated each time there's a new block of transactions. The first one to solve the equation is credited with confirming that block of transactions, and then the block is added to the chain. Mm. And then that result is distributed to everyone on the network. And that's how you get the term blockchain. So it, it allows you know, an enormous amount of transparency into the network. And it's also highly efficient. You know, the average settlement time for a bank or wire transfer is, is three days. You know, with Bitcoin in particular, it's 10 minutes. Wow. So it, it provides an enormous amount of transparency, efficiency. Mm -hmm. And it's also, like I said before, it's immutable. You can't change it. You can only make a new entry to the ledger. Right. Now, a lot of people have misconceptions about cryptocurrency. A lot of people are kind of a little bit standoffish. Hey, I know it's I know it's real. I know it's great. I just don't know enough about it. What are some of the main misconceptions you hear about cryptocurrency? I'd say one of the main misconceptions. Well, let me let me start with this. Let me tell you what cryptocurrency is first, and then I can tell you what it isn't. Cryptocurrency is a new asset class. 
It's been labeled as such by the Federal Reserve, and you have nation states, you know, El Salvador being the most recent notable one, that have adopted it as one of their official currencies. Blockchain and crypto are solving real-world problems. Like I said before, they're bringing banking to the unbanked, and they're providing a saving shelter to citizens in countries where sovereign currency is either being debased, and it's also streamlining international commerce. And they're seeing rapid global adoption as well, not only across various corporations, but across financial institutions as well. So what they're not, in, you know, as, as a whole, they're not a scam, they're not a fraud, and they're not fake. So uh, those are some of the common misconceptions. On top of that, there's a common misconception of the, the use of Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin initially was used by a very small community when it was launched in the, around 2008 is when it was launched. The first transaction was in 2010 that were using it for all sorts of cyber activities. And that got caught up in the news with an issue with a website called the Silk Road, in which Bitcoin was being used to circumvent the financial system for a variety of illicit activity. However, Bitcoin, because of its transparency, is a very small percentage of Bitcoin is used for illicit purposes or criminal activity. Mm -hmm. I can say with a 100% certainty that the currency of choice around the world to transact for crime is still the US dollar which it's far easier to launder a dollar and far easier to hide it than you are with Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, you'd really have to be a stupid criminal to transact with crypto because you're, not only your transactions are visible, but they can be traced and followed. Exactly. That's what, that's what I tell people that, you know, using this as ransom is not going to work in the crypto world. Also wanted to ask you, you know, I've asked you this in private before, but if cryptocurrency, the world of crypto were a baseball game, what inning are we in? And that's, that's the first question. And the second question is, if you can quantify where we are as far as the depth and usage in numbers across the world for crypto. Sure. So if I had to make an analogy to a baseball game, I would say that you know, we, we're, we're just finishing up batter's practice. Wow. Yeah. The game I mean, hasn't we're started still, yet. No, no. We, we, <laughs> we've just started. Now we have major institutions get, getting into it. And, you know, to give you an idea of the size, you know, the current cryptocurrency market cap across all cryptocurrencies is $2.3 trillion. That's not an insignificant amount. I want to caveat this, too. Cryptocurrency is not a stock. There's not a fixed amount of shares, so to speak. You know, Bitcoin has a fixed supply, and you can buy it fractionally. But you can't look at it and value it just by looking at price action alone. You know, because of that peer-to-peer -peer aspect and because of how it's decentralized, Bitcoin is a network. Think of it like you're not investing in like an internet stock. Imagine having the ability to actually invest when the internet first kicked off in hypertext protocol, HTTP. Mm -hmm. This is the rails of a new paradigm of the financial system. So when you look at it, the value is not so much the independent price action, but the value is in the number of connections it has. So there's a concept that I find very interesting called Metcalfe's Law. Now Metcalfe's Law dictates that the value of a network is an exponential factor of how many connections that network has. And that was used to value telecommunications networks. It was used to value the internet itself. I mean, it'd be almost impossible to put a value on the internet, right? There's so many different angles that you need to take into account. Cryptocurrencies like that too. It's a network. So part of the value is in the number of connections that are made. And then every day we're making more, more and more people are opening, opening up Bitcoin wallets and cryptocurrency wallets. And we'll be back with more from Jahan right after this. One of the more popular financial investments in the market today is cryptocurrency and blockchain. You've heard a lot about it. Bitcoin and others make the news on a regular basis. 
But it's a new currency and a new process that many of us don't really know or understand, and that's where Sarsen funds come in. They build your confidence with knowledge of the investment. They're a leading educator for financial advisors and consumers. I know. I personally have investments with Sarsen. They have a passion for cryptocurrency with a team that boasts a wealth of knowledge in the industry. More importantly, they have the resources to help us, you and me, learn about this new and exciting investment opportunity, like Cryptocurrency 101. It's yours by simply visiting the website and clicking on Education and Marketing. If you want to learn more, if you're looking to get a high-level Wall Street-grade understanding of cryptocurrency and blockchain, visit sarsenfunds.com. They've helped me understand why this is a great investment tool and to better understand what it's all about. Sarsen Funds. Real. Clear. Crypto. You know, sometimes it's tough to get motivated when you're working on your own. Happens to me when I've got nobody to bounce ideas off or share thoughts. That's why there's general provision. It's more than a collaborative workspace. It's a club. It's a community of like-minded people, anti-office. A private work club for founders, makers, and creators. You can join the remote work club for virtual, on-demand, and mailed offerings by visiting generalprovision.com. Check it out. And now getting back to more about cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, here's Jahan Jamali. You know, Jahan, also, some of the questions I hear is, is Bitcoin going to be around for a long time? Is it going to be accept, accepted by countries? I see on, on some of the news stations that there's a crypto ticker on the bottom of the screen now, and they're really accepting cryptocurrency as a real currency now. Instead of just something that's a question mark or I'm not really sure about it, it seems to be adopted across the spectrum. Oh, absolutely. And let me package this up. It's not just a currency. Because of the mechanics of cryptocurrency, you can do a variety of different things. So there's different cryptos that can serve different purposes. You know, a lot of folks view Bitcoin because of its finite supply. There's only going to be 21 million of them ever. Mm. Now, like I said, you can buy it fractionally. You can buy one one thousand, one one ten thousandth of a Bitcoin. And there's currently 18 million in circulation. And so a lot of folks are viewing that as a long-term store of value, as almost a digital alternative to gold. Now, I value Bitcoin personally very much, and I'm not going to go buy a pack of gum with it at the store, but I might buy a house with it one day. Mm. Well, so there's a variety of other cryptocurrencies that maybe serve small tipping aspects or for small purchases, but there's a variety of others that can have different types of functionality. Like Ethereum, I'm sure a lot of folks have heard of. It's the second largest cryptocurrency. Now, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency protocol that allows you to put rules on a transaction. So it basically allows you to create a contract that's within the transaction itself that has to have certain parameters or collateral, and you can build apps on top of that. So a smart contract is an automated agreement between the creator and the recipient, and it's backed by blockchain, which again makes it immutable, but you could put conditions on it. And there's an enormous amount of value that can be unlocked in there. There's also utility tokens. Now, these are types of tokens that maybe are utilized blockchain technology to give you access to a membership club or provide you function within a certain group. Like I'll give you an example. Let's say Uber decided they wanted to have their own cryptocurrency and then you would pay things with Uber points or Uber coins, so to speak, mm -hmm. where it provides you access and discounts and a variety of other aspects. Now, there's also security tokens. A lot of folks are familiar with trading stocks you're still going through an intermediary at the end of the day, yeah. even if you're sitting at the end of an E-Trade terminal, mm -hmm. right? Somebody's pushing in that order and there's an intermediary in the middle. 
And stocks are still, at the end of the day, somewhere have a physical certificate that's held somewhere. Yeah, it's called where you're clearing through, where your clearinghouse is. Exactly. Now, there's a big movement and discussion on Wall Street of assigning the value in the shares on a blockchain. So you're effectively tokenizing the ownership of a particular entity. So security tokens derive their value from an external tradable asset. Now, that could be stocks or that could be real estate. Now, what that allows you to do, especially like a real estate trust, right, where it's you know locked up in like paperwork and you know limited partner contracts, it allows you to trade and move and liquidate components of your ownership without having a third party. So it opens up an enormous amount of liquidity to previously illiquid assets. I was going to say there's also stable coins. Mm. These are digital representations and yep. digital tokens that are pegged to either an existing currency or to a commodity. So gold, there's a stable coin for gold. There's a handful of them for the US dollar where it has it's directly tied with a one-to-one ratio to the US dollar. USDC is one that's run by Circle and Coinbase, and Tether is another USDT. Wow. There's so many questions I have for you. One of them is can I attain a physical Bitcoin or a physical Ethereum? Are there tokens that I can physically put in my safe? No. But what you can put in your safe is your wallet. So you can certainly buy it on major U.S. exchanges like Coinbase, which is publicly traded, by the way, the company itself. But they're housing what's called your private key. And that is your personal key to that wallet. And you know when you transact, you're transmitting your public key. That's like your receiving address. But your, your private key is what gives you ownership. And there's a handful of ways in which you can either have it on a, a hardware device or actually, believe it or not, you can even have a paper wallet that has your private key. You can always look up your key and to see what your balance is. Mm-hmm. And that is something you could certainly put in your safe. But those types of custody, that's called cold storage. That means it's not on an exchange or not held by a third party that's held by you. I see. Okay, great. We've heard some countries recently have adopted you know, cryptocurrency as their currency now, and and it's spreading throughout the world. I know China doesn't like it. That's a communist country, though, right? So no wonder. China publicly doesn't like it. Yeah. But let me tell you what. They are in the top five of Bitcoin holders. Wow. I did Isn't not know that. Isn't that funny? That is. So, so here's what China is trying to do. Now, I said before that it gives you an enormous amount of transparency into your transactions. And Bitcoin's a decentralized network. There's nobody in charge of Bitcoin. It's alive and out and running. Mm-hmm. However, you can create a centralized blockchain that has one entity or, or select entities that are in control. Of it. And while China was going back and forth on banning Bitcoin, not banning Bitcoin, they were at the same time developing their own digital yuan, which is their currency, and digitizing in that stablecoin you know, method that I just explained, a digital currency that was pegged to their hard currency. Because you know what they want to do is digitize it, and then that actually completes their ability to have you know, much more control and insight and transparency into what what their citizens are doing. So as they were developing that, they were also stacking their own reserve of Bitcoin. And my you know my personal belief in that is that it was a way of of circumventing the dollar at some point. I you know, especially for things yeah. like oil, because their digital one is going to have a trading pair with Bitcoin. So they can always turn it back into Bitcoin in order to transact and have foreign investment. Yeah. John, in this world where we are now and in, in, in all the uncertainty about Bitcoin, 
Where do you see this in five years? Because me as an investor with Sarson, I have at least a five-year base that I want this puppy to run, maybe for the next 20 years. But where do you see this in the next five years? And you know, as far as acceptance, as far as viability, and just how this thing is going to play out, what's kind of in your in your mind? Well, it, it's accelerating in the adoption of cryptocurrency, particularly Bitcoin, is moving faster than the adoption of the internet did by by a large factor. It's amazing. So. I see the adoption only picking up steam over the next several years, up to five years. And you know, as, as government action and as monetary policy continues to affect the, you know, our currency, I think you'll see more and more people start to look for alternatives. And there's no alternative growing at a faster pace than Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know like people that live on or live near the Serengeti, for instance, in in Africa. You know, they may not be near a bank, but they can do business on their wallets when they have Bitcoin. So this thing is stretching into so many different places that this wouldn't be possible without the blockchain and, and the Bitcoin and Ethereum, Litecoin, these top three mainly, and really stretching out the possibilities for people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, let me give you an example. So talking about El Salvador. El Salvador was previously on the dollar, and they still use the dollar. But 70% of El Salvador's population didn't have a bank account. Their savings mechanism, if they had one, was either the jar on the top of the kitchen shelf or you know, a pile of, you know, of dollars somewhere under a mattress. But I tell you what they almost all of them have is a cell phone. Now, all of a sudden, because of the national mandate to implement Bitcoin as an official currency, now they all have a savings account right in their hand. That's enormously powerful. That is enormously powerful, and it gives everybody more of a chance. That, to me, is an opportunity for people that otherwise would not have the opportunity to expand their financial possibilities. This is the one way to do it with cryptocurrency. No, absolutely. And believe it or not, there's a high percentage here in the United States that are in that same boat, you know, especially the younger generation, especially folks that don't have access to, you know, that don't own stocks or don't own hard assets. You know, a lot of people live week to week. And what they've been experiencing, especially over the last year or so, is they've been watching the purchasing power of their dollar fall. Mm. And you know, for those of us that have stocks or real estate, we think that's not too bad because you know it's just appreciating the value of our hard assets. But for folks that live on a week-to-week or day-to-day basis, every day their dollar extends a little bit less. Now they have an ability to participate in a financial network that is growing and that's worldwide in a way they never had before, and an ability to save in a way that maybe they never even considered. Yeah. Lastly, I wanted to ask you if if there's any place that you would recommend to go where people can get a little bit more educated on their own time and try to really advance their learning about cryptocurrency. Well, thanks. Well, folks can certainly go to our website at sarsonfunds.com. But, you know, one of the things that the crypto community we feel hasn't done a great job of is putting these concepts into plain English and in a context where people can understand. So we decided to write a book called Deep Crypto. And I encourage folks to visit discoverdeepcrypto.com. We give you a good broad overview of cryptocurrency, the history of money, its importance, and what the future might hold. And we do it in plain English in a way that people can understand. That's fantastic. Well, I'm going to get mine today, that's for sure, because I would like more education too. The more, the better. Well, Johan, I'll tell you what, you've answered so many questions for me, and I know our listeners are going to really appreciate the fact that you came on and were able to delineate a lot of things that were in their mind. And I think they have a greater understanding of what Bitcoin and and all the other coins are about now. So thanks for being on Sacks in the Morning. 
All right. Thanks very much, Steve. If you like what you heard today, please give us a positive review, subscribe, and share the program. Also, be sure to listen to my Sacks in the Morning shorts three days a week for a couple of minutes of uplifting suggestions to get your day off to a great start. Our music is performed by my adorable niece, Elena Jane. And remember, to reach your goals and your dreams, follow your emotional heart. Today's podcast was brought to you by General Provision and Sarsen Funds. Sarsen Funds, real, clear crypto.